part of being the church is bringing comfort to those that we love, those in our church family. It was wonderful this morning to hug Sam and when you and your family walked in the door this morning, there's many here that have waited to hug the two of you all week. And Sam said that as he eulogized his son, he felt comfort from the prayers that he knew had been going up from his brothers and sisters in Christ, and it brought them comfort in that time of hurt and grief. If you have time today, as when we exit, please take time to hug him and love on him, and in the days to come, we love you guys. Um, let's pray. Father, um, as a family, we bow before you, and, and a, a brother, a sister, a family is grieving today and, and will be grieving in the days to come. And I pray, God, through your Holy Spirit, you guide each one of us to help, to love, to encourage, to comfort. Father, to bring, uh, to bring your love with the feeling and emotion that you have with touch. And so, it, so in essence, we be uh, God with skin on Him to those that we love. Please, Lord, help us see how we can um, comfort uh, the Dessous in this time. And Father, may we uh, be that way for all who need it in this congregation. We love you with all our heart. And we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The, uh, the thoughts from this sermon today come from what I think of as a changing season. We all go through the changing seasons in our life where things change. Things are about to be different. A week from uh, this past Friday, uh, this coming Friday... We will hop in the car and take one of our children and drop them off at college. Things in our house are going to change. They're going to change drastically. You know, I thought I would be one of those uh, fathers that kind of did the happy dance when the kid was gone. But the closer this gets and the more checks I write, I realize probably not going to be as happy time as I thought. Actually... When it really hit me was yesterday when Peyton was in the shower and he was singing to the top of his lungs. And I thought, I'm going to have to buy a radio for the bathroom because it just won't seem right. But as we as seasons change, our habits change. And so today I wanted to I wanted to deliver a sermon that will help us address some of that change, I hope. So bear with me this morning. I hope this comes to pass. You've probably heard this saying. My, my, my parents, and I, I know I've heard father and mother, uh, parent after parent, say this to their children. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. You enjoy the blessings of what you sow. You learn from the consequences of what you sow, but one thing is certain in life, and that's that you will reap what you sow. This is true for every individual. As an individual, you sow and you reap from your work. But it's also true as a family and as communities. 
We reap what we sow. And this is true, most importantly, in churches. The church and God reaps what it sows. Hold on, I'm going to change that. My wire's caught. He's pulling it off there. I want you to consider these words in James 2 and 17. And these are used often as a, this is used often as a proof text. I'm going to start in 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and without daily food. Well, if one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing to meet their physical needs, well, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, here's something to think about. If faith without deeds is dead, then what is faith with deeds? It's alive. Faith when we mix it with the deeds of God's people, come to life in the world we live in. So when our faith begins to be acted out among all of us, then God becomes alive in that place. God was alive with Sam as he went through that because God's people in faith were praying to him. We know and we can see how that works each and every day. So as we hear that scripture, and sometimes I'll even chuckle when I hear that scripture because I've heard it so many times in so many different ways since I first began to learn the Bible. I'm going to think about it different because I'm going to think, yeah, faith without deeds is dead, but faith with deeds is alive. You know, Heartland is a congregation that's alive. Oh, my goodness. Look in the bulletin. Look at the different things going on. You know, it's life when the women's Bible class pack those backpacks every week so that children can take food home who may not be able to afford a meal on the weekend. It's life when we have people down at Hillcrest and they're transitioning from living in their cars or living out out in, in the surroundings in the world without any shelter. And they transition into not only having a place to live, but being able to afford their own place to live. That's faith coming alive. Faith comes alive when people come to the door and they need help and we welcome them. And all those things are really big things, but it's also the little things. We look around this room and we see faith alive because it's wonderful to worship with God's people. This morning, I want to look at a verse in Galatians. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to break down this verse a little bit, but let's just read it together first. Galatians 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good for all, to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. You know, it's a powerful verse from Paul. And it's interesting because Galatians is kind of a, an extension of the Romans lesson, right? And what Paul's talk, and who Paul is talking to is a very diverse church at this time. Because see, this is how the church works. The more people the church w- reaches out to successfully, the more diverse the church gets, right? 
When people walk through our door to visit for the first time, they took a they take a look around a room and they think, what diversity? This is probably one of the most diverse congregations of people, and especially in the Church of Christ across the city. And the more the church reaches out, the more diverse it comes. And Paul's addressing a diverse church in Galatians, and he's addressing them, trying to teach them that they have freedom that's found only in Christ. He's trying to retrain some of their mentality of how they think and believe theologically, religiously. It's a tough task. And so when you hear this, therefore, we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. He's talking about their diversity, especially those who belong to the family of believers. But he's saying so much more. Let's take a look at this verse word by word, line by line. The first word is therefore. Now, whenever you see a word like therefore in the scripture, that means that whatever was said before the therefore is important. So you go back and you take a look at what he's talking about. In in essence, it's this. You read it, but you go back and read it in its context. Right. So the first word is therefore, Paul says we will reap what we sow. Let's back up for just a minute in Galatians six. And let's read verses seven, eight, nine. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who live In the family of believers. Now, in its context, what he's saying is a few things here. Paul says, we will reap what we sow. And so do not deceive ourselves or allow ourselves to be deceived. Paul's first lesson is don't allow the world to deceive you. You keep working, you keep sowing and you keep sowing what is right. Don't allow yourselves to be misguided. And God said, Paul says, what we do Do so to please God. So we're not in this to please ourselves. And and we need to understand that because if he's going to warn us not to grow weary. How many of you grow more weary doing things you don't want to do than things you do? Okay, that's just that that's that's kind of a kind of a law of nature, isn't it? But he warns us, don't grow weary. I asked this morning's audience at at the eight o'clock service. I said, you think there's any weary Christians in this room? Marty Nelson about threw his arms out of whack. Okay, he's our he's our deacon over buildings and grounds. Christians grow weary all the time of doing good. And Paul warns us about that. Are there some folks who at times feel like giving up in their work with the church and what they're doing among the church and in the community? You better believe it. That happens all the time. But Paul says here to the church in Galatians, he says, don't, don't give up. Now we go back to verse 10. The next line is, as we have opportunity. Listen to me, church, 
we, if you look in your bulletin and you look at the different things going on here at Heartland, you can go outside and just kind of stand on the sidewalk and look up and down the road. You can go stand in the midst of your neighborhood and look at different homes and different houses. You will find something to do in the realm of sowing faith seeds. You don't have to look very far. So I want you to hear this morning as a church, as a people, we want to take every opportunity to sow God's good will. We're going to talk about where I think our greatest opportunity is to sum up the lesson today, and we'll come back to it. The next line is, let us do good. Let us do good. Um, It's important, church, that as we do God's work, that we do so in a way that's good. That's not always easy. It's, it's, it's certainly not always easy. Sometimes we can do bad in an attempt to do good. And you've got to prayerfully go into God's work. You have to be, allow yourself to be spiritually led into God's work so that you know what you're doing is doing good and not bad. But he wants us to focus on doing good. And he says to all people, Paul reminds us there's no favorites in Christ. None. In fact, you look at the people who Jesus hung out with and they weren't the people that you would think a king would hang out with. Amen. He didn't hang out with that crowd. It wasn't that crowd. It was the poor and lowly. It was the people who needed help the most where Jesus was found. This was an important part of Jesus's ministry. Because he truly defended those who could not defend themselves. And the last part of this is where I want to really hammer home a message today. And that's especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul says in all this goodness, in all this important work, our first focus starts in this room. It starts in this family. Preston was at the at the doctor's yesterday and or Friday, rather, for a a physical. And they ask him all the questions. Right. And they say this question, they say, if you have a problem. Who would you most likely talk to? And I look at Jeanette. We're in the room with him. She looks at me. We both smile at each other because we know we're parents of the year. Everything's going to go great. Right. He said, my brother. He said, my brother, I'm thinking, wait a minute, it's the wrong answer. Do you know your brothers? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, that's the atmosphere we want in here. When someone in this place is struggling with their with their economics, with their finances, we want a brother or sister that they can talk to, that can pray with them. When someone in our church experiences loss and grief, we want a brother or a sister that they can pray with, that they're comfortable. We want this, and I'll say it over and over and over again. We want this to be a safe place. A place of shelter. A place where people encounter Jesus. And when it is, We're doing good. And when we don't play favorites, then we're being like Jesus. 
And it's so, so very important to his cause. We will reap what we sow. There's no greater ministry of importance to a church family than its children. Turn, if you would, in your Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. As you turn there, I want you to consider just a two or three things here. First, the church's longevity is somewhat dependent upon the job we do with our children. Amen? The church is going to have longevity and it's going to live through generations. The job we do with children is so very important. Now, here's just a few things for us to think about here at Heartland, and I believe it should raise some concern for us, a little concern. You go to the next slide. It takes 23 adults each week to maintain the children's ministry program. 23 adults each week. That's from the nursery to the 18-year-olds. We have one paid staff member. So 22 volunteers volunteer to teach you guys and all these children the Bible, starting in the nursery. Starting in the nursery, we start introducing Jesus to our littlest of little all the way to age 18. Twenty-three adults. I pulled some numbers from Bible Adventureland and the nursery because they are the ones that leave their attendance sheets out. So I get to pick on them. Now they'll hide them. But this is kind of interesting. And I want you to know, I took these numbers. I went back before the summer because I realized the summer we travel a lot in different things. In the month of May, on Sunday morning, average in BAL was six children. That was the average over that month. And potentially, we could have, we could, and this was just my count by, our, by our, uh, our church directory. There's 14 kids that could be in that class. There were a couple of Sundays and one aunt came and talked with me about it at my office where she said, you know, I had my I had my niece and I was so happy she was getting to come to church with me. And we got to church and she sat in class by herself. All by herself. And I was so sad. See, sometimes serving one another is as simple as showing up. It's as simple as being here to encourage And this fell off to below two on average in the month of June. The nursery had similar numbers. Three out of 12 children were in attendance. There could potentially be 12 children in the nursery. We had about three each week. Now, once you understand, church, we put a lot of resources into these things. Between 22 volunteer teachers, one staff member with the youth group, we've redone the nursery, we've redone the nursery area, we have security people that volunteer and help, so that adds to the number of volunteers. We put those resources into it. The question is, are we sowing the seeds? Or are we protecting just a chisel plowed field? I want us to think about that a little bit. A chisel plowed field is this, because I see some of you looking like I'm not a farmer. Help me out with that one. You chisel plow a field, you just let it set, right? Don't plant anything. You just rough plow it so that when you go into it in the spring, it's easier to work. 
I don't want us to protect or to serve a chisel plowed field. I want us to be planting seeds. Barna Group in 2015 did a study where they said 85% of practicing Christians report having their faith introduced to them before age 14. Before age 14. We will reap what we sow. And if we're not sowing, there's going to come a day where we won't be reaping. It's that simple. Sunday morning Bible class for the adults, January 2016 to May 2016. Look at some of these numbers. Sunday morning Bible class averaged 95 participants. At the same time on Sunday morning, the worship services averaged 204 participants. So about 46% of our congregation came to the class where we're sowing seed. Now, I understand, I understand that I am the greatest preacher that ever walked on the face of the earth. Not. But you can't get what you need in 20 minutes on Sunday morning. You can't. You need to come and allow some seeds to be sown so that you can grow. On Wednesday night, we had an average of 78 participants during that time. Again, 204 average participants on Sunday morning worship. 78 comes to class on Wednesday night. That's about 30%. Well, you can say, well, Tony, why are you saying this? I'm saying this because we'll reap what we sow. And, and, and I'm, that's my job. My job, my task is to get up here and pass on areas that I think we need to grow in and, and then encourage you. Well, I want to encourage you today to say this. For our children, there's 23 people here every week that have prayed over their lessons, that have prepared material to teach the children, that are ready to go with a loving heart to sow some seed. There are adult Bible teachers and adult folks who have prepared lessons and prayerfully put those thoughts together so that that so that they can join you around a table and sow some seeds. I want to encourage you to come. I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that, to participate, maybe even get involved. Obviously, if you see that it takes 23 adults, we need a lot of help. That's. 10% of 200, right? 20? That takes 10% of us just to run our children's program. That doesn't include any of the outreach. So in Mark chapter 10, we're going to end with this this morning. You know, people were bringing little children to Jesus, starting in verse 13, for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebukes them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Some thoughts that come from this particular set of verses. First is. Jesus loves kids. Jesus loves kids. In our first and greatest ministry, in my opinion, in ministering to those of the family of believers is our children. Because we will reap what we sow. And we will not reap what's never sown. 
The second thing is this. You see, Jesus, he's rebuked over the children here. But the reason for that is, is because in that culture and in that time, children were dirt. Children didn't mean anything to that culture unless you could work in a field. And so they rebuke him because Jesus is making a big deal out of the low man of the totem pole as they stand there in the town hall. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. These children are important. Why? Because our longevity depends on these children. Well, what does the response of Jesus being indignant mean? Well, that word in the Greek means mad and sad when put together. Jesus was mad about the way his disciples were acting, but it also made him sad. The way they were acting. You know, I wonder how God feels about our world sometimes when he looks down and sees the way our culture treats children. Abuse. Abortion. Slavery. Abandonment. But then I think even deeper I wonder how God feels when he looks down at his family of believers and how we're raising our children. The seeds that we're sowing. How would he feel? You know, give that some consideration. This this morning, I'm going to handle the invitation just a a little bit differently. Um, I'd like to ask. Um, one of our elders and Stan, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind to just say a prayer this morning at the conclusion for all of us as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles? Um, because we're getting ready to start school, right? We're getting ready to start college, high school, middle school, elementary school. And all of you are going to kind of be changing your routines, right? From the summer to the school schedule. I'm going, to ask you if, I'm going to ask you to bless yourselves or to gain a blessing from God. On your calendar on Wednesday night, write 7 o'clock Bible study. On your calendar on Sunday morning, write 9 a.m. Bible study. Come and participate. Look, look in the bulletin, and if you're not teaching or, or serving or volunteering somewhere, find one place. And dedicate yourself to it. Begin to sow. Because we're going to reap what we sow. And we're not going to reap what is never sown. Let's stand and sing together. If there is a need in this room this morning, please come while we stand and sing. We'll help you with that need.